So my name is Dave Stiblow. I'm married to Katie for the last 12 years. We've been going to Rolling Hills for about the last six years. I'm Patrick Stiblow and I'm an eighth grader at Rolling Hills and I've been going to Rolling Hills for about five years now. I didn't come from a great background and it was God had chosen that it was time for me to leave that. We were foster parents for a period of time and Patrick and Taylor came to us and it became evident at some point that we were eventually going to be able to adopt them and in the same, to in the same period we also um, biologically had Will. God knew it was time to get adopted and we got adopted by them. It felt like I could trust people and that I was loved. It felt uh, it made me happy. Here we are, parents for the first time all in that same year, really, and, and we're really relying on God for wisdom um, to do everything from changing the diapers to uh, learning how to be parents to a, a teenager at that point. It's been exciting to see Patrick grow. Um, as you can imagine, he came from a background where he had to do a lot of things on his own and re rely on himself. And so I think for a while, one of the hardest things for him to do was to really um, just give that up to God. And, you know, ultimately we saw him get baptized. And, and even since then, um, we've seen further progression where he is just um, somebody who loves to give and love on others and, and, be, a, and be, of God's, uh, be a servant for God. He has taught me how to live a life out and live my life in Christ and make my decisions with Christ and to stay on the path God has planned for me. For me, I have to realize that I'm a child of God and it all starts with that and knowing my identity is in Christ. Not just knowing about God, but being involved with God. And that, and that to me means making all your choices biblically and with God and doing them in a way of that God would be pleased. It's so important as being a father, especially to, to Patrick and Taylor, who, who really um, had a lot of loss in their life. And, and for Patrick as a man, he's gonna be a leader of his house one day. And I want him to know um, what it looks like to, to pour into, get, to get poured into, so that one day when he grows up and is a dad, he can be pouring into his children. And then that ultimately just spans out into the generations for, for years to come. Well, praise God, praise God. And church, welcome back to our series. Today is the culmination of this incredible series we've been in this summer called I Am David. And what an awesome series it's been. And we've been finding our story, the story of this guy who lived 3,000 years ago. And yet his name is mentioned over 1,000 times in the Bible. And I love Tave and Patrick just sitting there talking about the impact on their own lives, what God's been doing in their hearts and in their family. And what an amazing young man Patrick is and what a great dad Dave is. And we've seen that in the story of David. David, and we're going to see that come through today. So let me ask you this. What do you want your legacy to be? Like, what do you want people to remember about you? You see, we're all leaving a legacy. We, we all are, you know. And the question really is, what kind of legacy are we leaving? Well, what kind of legacy are we leaving with our lives? What are people going to remember about us? And so as we come to the culmination today, we're going to see David's legacy. We've seen the ups for David, and we've seen the downs, right? But what is David saying with his life? What is he communicating? What is he passing on to the next generation, or the next generation, and even to us today? Now, we saw as we started this series that David was chosen. 15, 16, 17 years old, the prophet Samuel comes to his house and anoints him as the next king. And I love there where God says, hey, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And David realized that at 15, 16, 17 years old, as a, as a young teenage boy, that God had a plan or purpose for his life. And the same is true for all of us. 
that God has chosen you. In God's sovereignty, in God's grace, and his mercy, he chose you. And you were born at a time in history for this reason, this purpose, that God would use you for his glory. And when you and I begin to understand that, we begin to live it, it changes everything in us. It changes our priorities and it changes how we look at life. And David started to live that way. He lived with this confidence that God was with him. And so when he faced a giant, Goliath, nine feet, nine inches tall, David says, you come at me with sword and spirit and javelin. I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Because God is with me. And he just lived with this confidence. Oh, that we could have that confidence. God is with me. God is for me. And David didn't try to usurp the throne. There was already a king named Saul. And David respected those over him. They honored those in leadership over him. And he waited for God to fulfill the plan that he had for his life. In God's timing, and he was patient, and he grew, and he matured. And when Saul died, David became the king officially over Israel at the age of 30. And the first thing he does is he moves the capital from Hebron to Jerusalem. He brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem to say, hey, we're going to be a nation centered on God. God's the one who's taking care of us. God's the one who's delivered us. And he said, I want to reign as a godly leader. And he does. And God blesses him, and he blesses him, and he blesses him. And then two weeks ago, we saw David fall. Ah, Here's this guy who, who loved God so much, and then he fell. They saw this woman bathing. And instead of walking away, he stopped, and he stared, and he stayed too long. And we said, sin always takes you further than you want to go. It leaves you longer than you wanted to stay, and it costs you more than you ever wanted to pay. And that was true in David's life, right? Commits adultery. He has her husband killed to cover it up. And he thinks he got away with it until last week. And God sent the prophet Nathan and he comes and he says, David, you are the man. You are the man. God knows what you've done has displeased the Lord. And David at that moment could have had Nathan thrown out. He could have Nathan killed. He could have tried to continue to cover it up. But he says, no, I'm gonna come clean. God, here's my heart. God, I want to serve you the rest of my days. God, I'm sorry. I repent. I'm coming back to you. We've seen David's life. We've seen his trials. We've seen his redemption. And God blesses him even more even after this. Because David turned his heart back to God and said, I'm going to live for you all the days of my life. Guys, we're all leaving a legacy. The question is, what kind of legacy are we leaving? If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 23, 2 Samuel chapter 23. So back toward the front of the Bible, right here in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, right there, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, that whole 1 and 2 section, and that's where we'll be, 2 Samuel 23. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the back. Love for you to take one. It's yours. Put your name in it. Free gift from us. Love for you to start reading there and seeing what God's going to teach you and how he's going to mold you and shape you. We'll also put the scripture on the screen, or if you have a mobile device, you can access it there at version. But if you look at 2 Samuel 23, you can see the heading for this chapter. And there's only two chapters left, 23 and 24 in 2 Samuel. So we're coming to the end of David's life, and it says this, David's last words. David's last words. Now, those are going to be pretty significant, right? I mean, what, what are your last words? Like, if you were thinking about, man, if I had my last words, what would I say? 
what would I say? Well, I went back and looked at history, and I kind of saw some people who had some last words. Here's some famous last words in history. Edward VII, king of Britain, said this, No, I shall not give in. I shall go on. I shall work to the end. Stu was a workaholic, okay? I mean, like, you know, he wasn't ready to meet God. He wasn't prepared. We could tell a lot about his life right there. What about this one? Beethoven. Beethoven said this, friends applaud, the comedy is finished. Like, dude, low self-esteem, man. You were incredible, right? You were Beethoven, you know, but he had a low self-esteem, lived with it all of his life. You can go back and read, right? Humphrey Bogart said, I should have never switched from scotch to martinis. So, <laughs> Those are the last words. I don't know. <laughs> Bad decision there, Humphrey. But anyway, so maybe, I don't know. He loved alcohol. That was his life. There you go. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said, is it the 4th? He died on the 4th of July, 1826. Thomas Jefferson did. Right? Pretty amazing. Hey, Da Vinci said this, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Dude, you talk about a perfectionist. I mean, I'm like, really? I mean, now I feel terrible. I haven't anything. This guy, I mean, unbelievable. But he had that perfectionist drive in him. Elizabeth I, Queen of England, said, all my possessions for a moment of time. What does that say into our materialistic culture, right? We're like more and more stuff, more and more things. And then at the end of the day, you can't take any of it with you, right? None of us can. And she realized that. Thomas A. Beckett said this, I am ready to die for my Lord, that in my blood the church may obtain liberty and peace. Mm. He was martyred for his faith. But man, what a legacy he left. What a legacy and what a difference. So now we come to David. His last words. What is it going to say about his life? What is it going to say about his legacy? We'll pick up here. It says, these are the last words of David. The inspired utterance of David son of Jesse. I got to stop there because I love that David, even at the end of his life, he still kind of put himself still with his family, Jesse, his dad. You know, he didn't get so successful. He was like, hey, forget my parents, my family. Listen to me. I'm the king over all of Israel. Uh, we all still have a responsibility in our family. You know, and a lot of us were taking care of our kids, but we also take care of our parents, Right? And we look at our grandparents, and, and David never lost that. He never kind of went on and became too good for his family. The inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of a man, of the man exalted by the Most High. And what I also love about David is he realized, hey, it's God who's done this in my life. You know, I was a shepherd boy. I mean, I was a peasant. I didn't have any help or any hope. And now I'm here, and I'm king over all Israel. It's only God. It's only the most high. And if you were to look at your life, don't you just sometimes go, wow, God, how in the world did I get here? And David goes, man, it was you, God. God, you're the one who took care of me. The man appointed and anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. I love that. The hero of Israel's songs. David wrote so many of the Psalms, but he says, listen, it's not me, the king. It's God who's the hero. It's God who I want to be glorified. It's God that I want to be lifted up and proclaimed. The spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. God gave me the words to say. God did all this in my life. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in righteousness, 
When he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. David realized, God, you've done all this in my life. And you look at the very last words of David and you go, wow, here's a man who loved God. And he's like, God, you made me a leader. You made me the king. You know, the fact is we're all leaders. We're all leaders. Maybe you look at yourself, I'm not a leader. Yeah, you are. You're a spiritual leader in your home. You're, You're leading your family. You're a leader at your workplace. You're a leader at school. You're a leader at your kid's school. You're a leader at church. You're a leader in the community. We're all leaders. And David recognized, hey, God, I can't do this without you. God, I want you to be the hero. I want the story to be written about you. If my house, verse 5, were not right with God, surely you have not made with me an everlasting covenant. He's like, I know I've sinned. I know I messed up. But, but God, you have made a promise to me. And God did. God made an everlasting covenant, the Davidic covenant that he made that somebody would always sit on the throne. And it comes down to Jesus, Right? And here's David going, you've made an everlasting covenant. You know God's made an everlasting covenant with you? By God's grace, he sent his son Jesus who made an everlasting covenant with you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That ought to be an amen right there, right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing. You are his forever and ever and ever. And that ought to give you the confidence to go through and face whatever you face. That ought to give you the joy and the journey. And David knew that. It was arranged and secured in every part. God, I can't mess this up. God, I can't do something that's so bad that that I'm going to fall from you. God, you are forever with me. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. God, look, you have done so much in my life. And I think David on his last words is just so overwhelmed with God's goodness in his life. God, look at what you've done. God, you've been so good to me. And then he teaches right here in verse six. He says, but evil men are to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool of iron or the shaft of a spear, and they are burned up where they lie. David's like, guys, don't miss it. Don't miss it. You who come after me, listen, listen, listen. Follow God, trust him. Don't go the way of the world. Don't get caught up in people who are gonna run off and lead you astray. Don't drift in your spiritual life like I did. You be a man or a woman after the heart of God. And these are my last words, and I wanna give glory to God, and I wanna point others to him. Mm. Praise be to God, man. Now, I don't know if we're gonna get last words, right? Sometimes you don't. But the fact is, all of our words are telling a story. All of our actions are pointing to a legacy. All the things we do and we say are saying to the people around us, this is what's important to us. This is what we value. And this is what my legacy is going to be. If you're taking notes today, here's some things I'd love for you to write down. Just jot these down this morning. Number one is this, keep God first. Keep God first. 
David, he's like, here I was at 15, 16 when God anointed me as a shepherd boy, but God saw my heart because I loved God. And here I am, you know, my deathbed, right? He became king at 30. He reigned 40 years. He's 70 plus years old right now. And he's there on his deathbed, right? And and he's like, I'm just going to keep God first. I want him to be glorified. But David's last words, he gave glory to God. He gave glory to God. You know, I think about the last words of some of the people before I just wonder, man, what was their life still telling a story about? What was their life pointing to? Well, what's our life gonna point to? The first commandment of the 10 commandments is this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. You shall have no other gods. No other gods. David knew that commandment. It was in the Ark of the Covenant. The 10 commandments were there. It was in the city And David's like, you know what? I'm gonna mess up. I'm gonna make mistakes, but I want God to be the Lord of my life all of my days. That's my legacy. David wasn't perfect, but he kept God first all of his life. Guys, there's gonna come a time when Satan's gonna remind you of your sins. There's gonna come a time when Satan's gonna come back and he's gonna go, well, you remember what you did in high school? You remember what you did in college? You remember what you did? You remember the things in your life? And you can either wilt and go, you're right, Man, I have just like, oh man, I am just a sinner. Or you can step up and go, listen, I am saved by grace. It is by grace that I've been saved. It's not by works, lest no man should boast. It is by God's grace. And I'm gonna live with confidence in who he is. David made some big mistakes, but boy, he loved God. Second thing is teach others. You guys, teach others. David taught a nation and he continues to teach followers of God today. I love that video with Dave and Patrick Stiblo and just thinking about pouring into the next generation and pouring in and the lives that are being impacted through you and the lives that are impacted through David. David used the Psalms to share his life with others. If you go to like Psalm, like Psalm 32 and different Psalms, it'll say a mascal. And a mascal, if you see that heading, it just simply means a teaching. And, and David's like, here, I want to teach. I want to pour in. I want to share with you. Lisa, my wife, she is an awesome mom. I got to tell you, I love my wife. I just, I'm so, I do. I love my wife. And, and she is just a great, great mom. And she has these three journals uh, that she bought for the girls that she's always writing into them. And she's going to give it to them when they're 18. So don't tell them, okay? It's a big surprise. So, but, but she has these journals and, and I love it. And I'll see her up late at night. You're like, you know, she's writing and then she's writing. Here's what we did. And here's what you did. And then she has these little things that she's writing just to teach them. Hey, do this, or hey, don't let other people like define you. You know, you hold on to God and you trust him. And every now and then she'll let me write a page in there, but it's like kind of her journal that she's gonna give to them. And I just wanna encourage you, write the things down in your life. You know, or take your iPhone, right, and videotape it, but, but pass some things on. David did. I mean, you go and look in the middle of the Bible, the Psalms, and I mean, you've got 73 of those Psalms written by David, and he's passing this on. You know, share your joys and struggles with others. Share your joys. A lot of times we want to put on a veneer like we got it all together and we're perfect. But, but man, let people know, hey, this is where I've struggled. And because the most likely people are struggling in that same area. David's like, I'm going to talk about this, even though it's not easy to talk about what I did with Bathsheba. It's not easy to talk about how I tried to cover up my sin. But I'm going to share it, Psalm 51. I'm going to share it because I don't want you to have to go through the same thing. 
I want you to learn and to grow and become. Hey, share your joys with the people around you. Share your struggles. Pass it on. And here's the thing, right? Your misery can become your ministry. The things that you did before, that can become your ministry that you can help people not have to walk through that. Or how do they go through that better? How do they learn? And maybe you went through a divorce and you can either kind of try to cover that up or you can say, hey, let me, let me tell you what I learned through this. Let me help teach you. Maybe you went through bankruptcy and you can say, hey, let me tell you what I've learned through this. Let me help you. David did that. What a legacy. Build God's kingdom, number three. Build God's kingdom. One of David's last acts was to secure the land for the future temple. If you go into 2 Samuel 24, you can read it later. It's so, so good. But, but David, like here he is, giving his last words. And then he says, hey, let's commission and find out how many fighting men we have in Israel. And Joab is like, why? His commander is like, no, 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 no. Don't do this, David. It's God who wins the battle. It's God who does this. And David's like, oh, I want to know. I want to know. Like at the end of my life, what I've amassed, basically, And they come back and they say, well, there's 800,000 fighting men in Israel and 500,000 fighting men in Judah, 1.3 million abled fighting men. And David is grief stricken because he's like, oh man, I put my faith in them instead of God. We could do that too, though, can't we? How much money do I need to retire? (laughs) I got to get this amount of money. I got to get this. I got to get this. And, and, and all the while, we used to just like, hey, I didn't have a whole lot, but I trusted God and God always provided and God always took care. And that's important to save and to do those things. But our faith doesn't go there. Those things can go away, right? I mean, all of a sudden, there's a stock market crash. We're like, oh, well, I don't even have any of that anymore because it's on paper anyway. You know? But here's David. He's grief-stricken. So he goes up, and there's this angel that's this plague that's breaking out. And David says, wait, it's me. I've sinned. And I want to buy this land right here, and I want to build a temple that's going to long outlive me. And he gives the money to his son Solomon and says, Solomon, you build the temple. And put it in the center of the community so that people will come and worship I'm gonna give you the money. I'm gonna give you the plans. I'm gonna give you all of this. I want that to be my legacy. David never worshiped at the temple. Never did. But that temple stood in Jerusalem for a thousand years. People would come and worship God. His legacy. His legacy. Are you building your kingdom or God's kingdom? God's kingdom lasts much longer. (laughs) God's kingdom lasts much longer. And we look at our lives, we say, hey, Which kingdom am I building? Prepare the way of the Lord for the next generation. You know, growing up, when I would go with my dad, we would go camping or something like that. My dad would always, he was so good, he would always say, hey, you gotta leave the place better than you found it. Anybody else, anybody remember that, right? Leave the place better than you found it, right? And so we would go to the campground and we're out picking up trash. I'm like, we didn't even put this trash here. He's like, I don't care. Leave the place better than you found it, right? You're at the hotel room. You're like straightening up the bed. You're like, I straightened up the bed. Why? You know, leave the place better than you found it. He was always trying to get that in my head. Leave the place better than you found it. And I want to challenge you and encourage you. Leave the place better than you found it. Leave your family, right? There's generations that's been poured in. And now it's your turn. Are you going to leave your family tree better than you found it? Are you going to leave your kid's school better than you found it? Are you going to leave your workplace better than you found it? Are you going to leave church better than you found it? 
Did God put you here for this time? Are you going to say, you know what, I'm passing something on. It's going to be better. And David's going, I'm going to pass on to my son Solomon. Worship. And Solomon will build the temple. Here's the plans. I want you to know this. Prepare the way of the Lord for the next generation. Then become a man or a woman after God's heart. Guys, it's all going to come back to here. And if David teaches us anything (laughs) this summer, it's the heart. It's the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's going on inside of your heart is going to come out in your life. David always had a heart for God. We see it at the very end of his days with his last words, with building the play, giving the plans for the temple. He always had a heart for God, and it communicated through him. Don't let your past define you. David didn't let Bathsheba, Uriah, his mistakes define him. He let God's love and redemption define him. Would you let God's love and redemption define you? Would you let God's love and redemption define you? Would you live with confidence? Even after all his mistakes, David was still called a man after God's heart. Isn't that amazing? So no matter what you've done, and no matter how bad you think you are or how bad you think you've been, hey, God redeems, God restores. This is David's life, his trials, but his redemption. Hey, the rest of your life can be the best of your life. The rest of your life can be the best of your life as you have a heart for God, as you live your life for him. So let's leave a legacy for God. David shows us, leave a legacy for God, something that will outlast you. David prepared the way for Jesus, the Messiah. If you turn over to the New Testament, the New Covenant. In Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul, he's teaching, and he talks about this in Acts chapter 13. And he comes along and he says in verse 22, after removing Saul, right? So a thousand years before when David was the king and God removed Saul because Saul was disobedient, he made David, God made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, He will do everything I want him to do. Could God say that about you? When God prompts your heart and says, hey, pray with your spouse, or or, hey, serve in this way, or hey, pray for that coworker, or hey, share your story with somebody. When God prompts your heart, could you just say, God, I will do everything you want me to do. I'll do everything you want me to do. And then verse 23, from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. God has brought the Savior, Jesus. See, David's preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus is the one who could change a heart. Jesus is the one who could change a life. The entire New Testament starts in Matthew chapter one. Jesus is referred to as the Messiah, the son of David. All of David's life is preparing the people for the coming Messiah. And if our lives, man, we are pointing people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. So what legacy are you leaving? What story is your life telling? What do people say is important to you? Her name is Sarah Zell. And uh, 
Sarah went home to be with Jesus when she was 43 years old. And whenever you walk into the preschool area, you see this picture on the wall. It's right there on the left when you walk in the preschool. Sarah had brittle bone disease. She spent her 43 years in a wheelchair, (laughs) but it didn't slow her down. She went to Vanderbilt, graduated magna cum laude. She went and got her master's there as well. She taught at Peabody. But her favorite passion was teaching the children at Rolling Hills. Even when we were in movie theaters, she would come rolling in her wheelchair and teach in children's ministry. And right before she died, she said, Jeff, I want to do something with my legacy that points people to Jesus. And she wrote in her will to give money to build a big playground. So when you can't get your kids off that big playground back there in the back, you can say, thank you, Sarah. Because Sarah said, I want a playground at our church where kids are gonna say, I can't wait to go to church. I wanna go to church more than I wanna go to McDonald's, right? I wanna go to church. I wanna be there. I want people to come and say, my church is awesome. I want people to come and hear about Jesus. Her legacy is what can I do for kids? And her story still speaks today. She's still impacting lives. She's still impacting lives to the glory of God. She's still impacting families, you, my family. Because she said, I want to make a difference. I may only have 43 years on this earth, but I want to make a difference that outlives me. And I want people to know what's important to me. His name is John Pack, John Pacalabo. He grew up in England, a rock and roll guy. His band opened for the Beatles when he was younger. And then he gave his life to Christ, and God radically changed him, radically got a hold of him. And he started doing worship music. He said, I want to I help people worship. And then when he was in his 50s, he told his wife, Juliet, he said, hey, let's buy a villa in Spain. We'll spend half the year. I love to play golf. I'll, I'll spend half the year playing golf in Spain, and we'll have, live half the year in England. And then he went to the Amazon. <laughs> and while he was in the Amazon, he he saw the need, and he called his wife. He said, sell the villa in Spain. I want my legacy to be here. I want it to be what I do for the poor and the forgotten people of the river. And just a few years before he died, he, he shot this video. Watch this. American pastor came to our church. And in the middle of the sermon, he points to me and says, God has a word for you. He said, it's time to release worship to the poor. I, I said afterwards, I said, what does that mean? He said, I don't know. I'm the, I'm the messenger. So I just forgot about it. But the year after, my wife and my kids, we all wanted to go back to the Amazon. So off we go. We hire the boat, we get on the river, and we go to the village to meet the teacher. And we're having a wonderful time. And I said, where's the school? So they took me across the village to this hut, which is probably as big as this room. And we open the door and we walk in and it's so hot. I said to Gloria, I said, how hot is this? She said, it's about 140 degrees. And they were shoving 60 kids into this place. She said, this is not a school. And when she said that, up popped these words from nowhere. It's time to release worship to the poor. And I said, ah, I get it, I get it. I said to my wife, we're gonna build a school here. 
and I didn't know what it was going to cost or how we'd do it, but I just knew that was the right response. And that was the beginning of God helping me understand what worship is. I just wish that God had told me about worship earlier, because I didn't get it. You know, I just didn't get it. If you look at what Jesus says when he announces his ministry, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Right there he puts it, right there. Why did he say that? Why did he even mention the poor? Because he came to change the culture of the day, because the poor and the lame and the sick and those on the fringes of society, they were the outcasts, untouchable. And Jesus said, no, I've come to preach the good news to them. You know, because God cares about the poor. And he looks at us and says, are you worshiping me? I just thank God he showed me because, I mean, I was 50-something. And I thought, you know, I've wasted all those years. You know, pretending, basically. Well, not pretending, but just not seeing it. And it's so obvious. And we just need to see the world as God sees it. You know, and that is, you love me, you love them. You adore me, you, you, then you care for what I care for. love me, you love them. There's only three things that are going to last, God and God's word and people. That's all that's going to last. And John went on to, to go to the Amazon and to build 15 schools, to build a community center, and that says JMI, that's where we go, and we do the pastor's conference, and before John died, he handed all the assets over and said, you guys go. This year, we've had two pastors' conferences, had over 200 pastors, jungle pastors from around to come and to hear the good news of Christ and to go back to their villages to be trained and equipped and to go back and to share Christ in the Amazon. His voice still speaks. And John's daughter, Lucy, and her husband, George, moved from England to come here to be a part of our church. Lucy's on her JMI staff, and George leads worship at our Belmont Heights campus. His voice still speaks. What legacy are we leaving? What difference are we making? Paul says this in verse 36. If you underline your Bible, underline this, Acts 13, 36. It says, now when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. Man, I long for that to be said about me and about you. When you have served God's purposes in your generation, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But, verse 37, the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. The one that God raised from the dead did not see decay. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the one who will last. And Jesus is here. And oh, that our lives are redeemed Oh, that our lives are restored. Oh, that our lives bring glory to God and our families. 
with our friends at our work and just saying, hey, here's my life, God. I want to serve your purpose in my generation. I want to build your kingdom. I want you to be the hero of my life, the hero of my story. And I want the people to come after me to find it better because I live my life the way it brought honor to you. So God, here I am, all of me. Let my legacy be you. <laughs> and Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he brought his disciples together and he said, guys, listen, I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. I love what John said. You know, I was in my 50s before I got it. I just wish I'd gotten it sooner. <laughs> and I think Jesus is with his disciples and going, guys, don't miss it now. Don't miss it now. And he took bread and said, this is my body broken for you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to pay the price for your sin, your past sin, your present sin, your future sin. You will be redeemed and restored in me. I will pay the price. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup. He goes, guys, this is the new covenant. <laughs> Before you were under the old covenant, when you sinned, you were out. David, you would have been out, right? But there's a covenant of grace. Praise God for his amazing, amazing grace. Take a drink in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning, there's tables set up around the room. I'm gonna invite some of our A6 men and their wives to come to the tables, to be there to serve you. Um, these are some of the spiritual leaders in our church and they're gonna be there with the bread and with the cup. And I want to invite you to come to one of the tables. All the bread is gluten-free, so it doesn't matter which table you go to today. There's two tables on the side. There's two in the middle, and there's two in the back. And to come and to take a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you, to dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, and to receive what only God can give. <laughs> Redemption, grace, love, joy in Christ and in Christ alone. As you come to the table, I want you to think about this. What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to remember about you? So Father God, here we are, your disciples. And Father, we come to worship. We come, God, to bring our lives to you. I pray you would meet us in this moment. I pray, Father, that you would stir in our hearts. Father, draw us to yourself today. In your grace and your sovereignty, Father, draw us to yourself. I pray if there's any area of our life that is leading us away from you, God, that this would be a moment that we would confess. This would be a moment, Father, we would meet you. And God, let us be determined to live whatever days we have left on this earth for your name and for your glory. Because it's all about you, Jesus. You're the hero of the story and the hero of my life. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we come to your table. Amen, amen. You're invited to come and receive communion this morning.